Thank you so much. So kind. Praise God. Come on, do you love your pastor today? Do you love your pastors? What an honor. Jesus, we love you. So good to be with you today. Thank you so much. I want you to give someone a hug next to you. Tell them they look good and grab a seat. What an honor to be back in the great state of Iowa. Hey, can we give the musicians a good hand clap? Didn't they do a great job today? You guys got some great musicians in this church. And I was just loving it. I loved all. I got the, this is my third service this weekend with you guys. We got to hang out. We actually invited the server last night at the restaurant afterwards. And she's like, you're going to be there tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, we, we went tonight. We're going first service, and we're going second service. And uh, she probably thought we were crazy, uh, but we didn't tell her that we were the pastors or speaking. But Erica, if you're here, we're glad you're here today. And uh, I'm excited. God's moving in Des Moines, Iowa. Come on. Love it. It's my second time here. I I'm so grateful to come back. My wife was with me last time. Does anybody remember when my wife came last time we were here? I brought my little girls, and we had a great time. We had good food, and we saw a store that allowed you to go inside of it. And its business was petting cats. And uh, I'm happy to report, only in Iowa that I found a place like that so far in America. But my girls still get a good laugh out of it. They're like, Dad, there was a cat place there. It was awesome. Um, but my wife and my, my daughter send their greetings. Uh, I've been married now for 17 years, praise God. Uh, married the woman of my dreams, and God was super kind to me. We have two little girls uh, that are 19 and 21. And uh, I'm just kidding, that's a joke, just to make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, that's a church joke, sorry. Uh, I have a, a, a seven-year-old and a 14-year-old. And uh, that's my wife, Rochelle, and uh, we're just, we're serving God. I, I married the pastor's daughter in Idaho. She was from Boise, Idaho, and I became the youth pastor there for 17 years. And when you become the youth pastor at your father-in-law's church, say with me, job security. I had great job security. Was not planning on leaving Idaho. I loved it. And God, four years ago, called us, made it very clear. We were supposed to move back to my motherland, California. It was my, it was my Babylon. I didn't want to go back. I uh, wasn't a big Newsom fan. Uh, still not a big fan of Fauci. Can I get an amen? Uh, but I, uh, <laughs> it was a lot. Come on, my people. Uh, but uh, God, God made it very clear that we were supposed to go back and that there would be a great revival and a, and a spiritual awakening that would hit our land once again. And I believe that it will come out of the West Coast. And I think that if God can do it in California, he can do it anywhere. So it's been wild. We're 200, I think that today is 215 Sundays that we've been doing church in Orange County, California, where our main campus is in Irvine. We have a smaller campus by Dana Point, and we're, we're really close to Disneyland, so if you want to come to the beach and boycott Disney, come visit us. Um, but uh, it's been amazing. We, uh, we've been there in the last 215 Sundays. Almost 6,000 people have given their lives to Jesus and uh, <laughs> baptized thousands of people and we're actually, if you want to come hang out with us May 28th, Pentecost Sunday, uh, this next year, God gave us a vision to host the largest water baptism in American history. And so we're going to do it. It's going to be in Pirate's Cove, the very beach that the Jesus People Movement, uh, 50 years ago this May, uh, or this March, we will be baptizing on the 50-year anniversary of when Lonnie Frisbee and the Jesus People Movement led a revival. And so God is moving, contrary to CNN, Fox News, God is moving in California. Can I get a witness up in here? So uh, I'm honored, 
honored to be a small part of it. I brought, my, I brought one of the greatest people in the whole state of California with me. His name is Paul. Would you guys give Paul a good hand clap today? One of my best friends. <clears throat> but we're honored to be here. I mean, the last two services have been amazing. Uh, Pastor Jesse said that you guys are the most faith-filled, though, out of all of them. He said you're the loudest and best looking. He did warn me they have low self-esteem, but they're good looking. And so uh, I'm honored to be with you guys this morning. If you're brand new to Eternity Church, I'll, I won't be here next week. Pastor Jesse will be back. So if you don't like today, come back next week. Praise God. Um, but we're going to have a good time today. If you, uh, if you get bored today, I want you to know that you're boring. Because um, I'm not a boring preacher. And if you fall asleep today, it's very likely that you have narcolepsy. Um, so if you have your Bible today, I would love it if you would turn to the book of Luke. Uh, there's no shame in the game. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's about two-thirds into the Bible. And uh, if you get to Luke chapter 11, I would love it if you would turn there. And if you want to put another finger in James chapter 5, Luke 11 and James chapter 5. And I'm, I'm honored to, to share God's Word with you this morning. I believe that God's predominant way of speaking is through the Bible. In Iowa, is that the same way here? God will speak to you. Uh, and uh, I want to make no mistake about it today. Some of you already feel the presence of God. You're like, I, I don't usually go to church, but I feel emotional. I feel, I feel an energy. Some of you, I love it in California. We have these like, like non-church people come in, and they're like, I love the aura. I just love the vibe here. It's a good energy. And I'm like, yeah, the energy's called the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you've never encountered him, he's better than, he's better than methamphetamine. He's better than sex. He's better than anything you've ever experienced on this earth. When you taste God, you get hungry for nothing else. Come on, can I get a witness from the church? And so uh, I, I did drugs before Jesus, but when I had my first God encounter, I got addicted to something brand new. I got addicted to God. I got addicted to God's word. That's not a drug yet. Well, kind of. Take it one line at a time. Come on, somebody. I... Uh, so this morning, we're going to go one line at a time, Luke chapter 11, John chapter 5. I'm going to read about 10 verses in all, and I want to talk to you a little bit about my opinion. Probably the most important part of who you are is what do you want? What do you want? Tap your neighbor and say, what do you want? Like, I want this guy to hurry up. I want to go watch some football. Um, what do you want? What do you want? James chapter uh, 5, let's start off in Luke 11 here. Verse 1, it says, now it came to pass as Jesus was praying. He was what? Help me out, Eternity Church. Jesus was, he was praying in a certain place that when he stopped, one of his 12 disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Jesus' response was, okay, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. I believe that prayers that aren't vocalized are meditations. And I don't want to meditate alone. I want to pray. Prayer, one scholar said, prayer is not prayer until it comes out of your mouth. And so I, I want to talk a little bit on the subject of prayer today. You can go on and keep reading later in Luke chapter 11. They call it the Lord's Prayer. Probably a better name for it would be called our prayer. Uh, why? Because the Lord prayed, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. How many know that Jesus did not sin? So we know that this was not Jesus going, hey, I need a prayer template. He didn't need to repent of sin. He was giving us a template of why, why and how we will pray. But I'm not going to focus on, on the how today. I'm going to focus on your desire. Is that all right? What do you want? James chapter 5, are you there? 
Verse 13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him hop on social media and rant. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him. It's a little, little uh, preacher cue here. Whenever a preacher pauses, that's your cue to say pray. You ready? Is anyone suffering? Let him. There we go. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, leaders of the church, and let them over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, heaven gave rain, earth produced its fruit. What do you want? What do you want? What do you Let's pray. God, we love you this morning. I thank you that whether there's atheists in the room or agnostics, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, all walks of life, I thank you that here at Eternity Church, they are welcome. And I pray today that, Lord, whether we're in doubt, whether we're in unbelief, or we're fully committed to you, we're inviting you, Spirit of God, to meet us right where we are. Holy Spirit, you are the guest of honor. I pray that you would meet us in our doubts, meet us in our pain, meet us in our problems, or even meet us in our prosperity. Today, Holy Spirit, we open up our hearts to you. We ask you that God people would encounter you, be touched by you, healed by you, set free by you, and set on fire for you. Lord, have your way today. Bless the Hawkeyes in Jesus' name. And God's people said amen. Amen. I have, uh, as I showed you, I have, I have three ladies plus my little sister lives with me uh, in our house. So I am surrounded by females. I live in an estrogen farm. It's crazy, I'm telling you. I, I, I was raised with uh, boys. My mom had three boys. I have two older brothers, uh, Chuck and Lucifer. And um, I'm just kidding. His name's Satan. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I was tormented as a kid, so um, this is good therapy for me. Um, no, I have two older brothers, but then God had a sense of humor to give me girls. And so I'm raising all these girls, and I come home from work. And there's those long days you come in, and there's just crying and shouting and screaming and arguing and you know, I remember one day coming home, and one of the girls was like, you know, they shut the door in my face and said I couldn't be in their club and called me a dummy head. And I was like, look, Rochelle, um, it's my wife. She doesn't like that joke. I was thinking about, you know, how we, uh, we, we, we have these girls, and it's funny with my girls. I don't know if they're like your kids. My girls know what they want, and they know it about 10 years before they get it. Is there anybody in here that has those, those kids that actually start asking for Christmas items like 10 years in advance? My wife, my, my daughter, or excuse me, my girls are giving me Christmas lists not just for this year. They know what they want next year and the following. Or at least they think they do. And they know what they want. It's interesting that when, when you're young, there's a pretty strong inclination that you have no shame in asking for something big. My girls, I always tell them, I wish I was as rich as you thought I was. Having daughters is like having little broke friends that think you're rich. Come on, somebody. Like all the time, just having meltdowns. I'm in grocery stores. We go to Target. Lord forbid. We're in Target. My six-year-old, seven-year-old, she starts melting down. I'm like, Legion, come out. And uh, it's wild. Just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wild dynamic. We, uh, 
we have these girls, but they have no shame. There's no guile in asking for something big. And somewhere along the way, as we, as we, as we come into this relationship with God, oftentimes throughout the years, we kind of get jaded and we start thinking that God isn't capable of doing big things. Sometimes we get caught in even asking God for things, and I'll be honest, I think maybe one of the hardest things we have to, we have to balance out as we walk with God is to never get obsessed with the good things that he gives us more than himself. One of my mentors, he said, Mark, if you go after what's in God's heart, you'll always have what's in God's hand. Many people get more obsessed with the promised land than the promiser. Let it not be said of Christians in Iowa that we like the blessing of God more than we like the blesser. Can I get a witness up in here? There is something that God is looking for. You know, God wants to be known. God wants to be loved. God wants to be experienced. Can I get a witness in here today? I believe that many of, many of God's kids, they are so content with the promised land that they're happy to live there without the promiser. And I want to report to you that why California, I'm in Orange County, one of the wealthiest, one of the best looking counties probably in America. There's people that have, have dream homes. I mean, there's people in our church, 30 million, 40 million dollar houses. They have 20 million dollars in cars in their garage. They're married to models. And there's people that are literally addicted to antidepressants and they're suicidal and their kids are overdosing. They have everything on the outside, but they're empty on the inside because what good is the blessing? of life without the blesser. And I felt like as I was praying the last few weeks, God's been really stirring me up to go, you know what's interesting? There is only 12 young men in history that got to be really, really close to God physically. Only 12. And what grabs my attention out of these 12 young guys is, I don't know, you ever had that fantasy as a kid that you experienced a genie and you could just ask him for anything? Just me? I loved Aladdin growing up. That was my cartoon. I liked to watch Aladdin and, you know, no wishing for more wishes. You know what I'm saying? But it's intriguing to me that the only people physically that actually had the opportunity to ask God for anything physically that were close to him were these 12 disciples. And what intrigues me about this, this story of Luke chapter 11, oftentimes we focus on the Lord's Prayer, but we totally miss the big idea that these guys, they don't ask him for, we don't pay attention to what they don't ask for. Have you noticed this? Did you notice that the disciple didn't come to Jesus in Luke chapter 1 and say, Jesus, will you teach us how to be successful? Will you teach us how to have great marriages? Will you teach me how to teach my dog to stop peeing and dis destroying my house? Will you teach us how to get rich, how to get famous, how to draw a crowd, how to be a person of influence? Notice what they don't pray. And then flip it upside down and go, what did they want? They asked a question. I think the reason why they asked how to pray is they somehow saw the correlation between what Jesus prayed and what Jesus lived. I will tell you today before the Lord that what you live will be connected to what you, what you pray. I would say right now that you are actually reaping the seeds of yesterday's prayers, whether you prayed them or not. Why do you have such a great marriage? I prayed for it. Why do you have such a great church? I prayed for it. Why are you seeing revival in California? Are you hearing me right now? I, I'm telling you that you will have what you pray. I actually believe that God is more willing to give us what, what he has for us. One of my mentors said that God will give you everything that he wants you to have. Think about that. 
And I think there's many people that get to heaven and they don't ask God for anything. They don't, they don't walk with God for anything beyond their own logic. They live reasonable lives because they only ask God for what's reasonable. Getting quiet up in the Presbyterian church. If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. You can be Presbyterian eyebrow raise. I'll take a Latter-day Saint this morning. Uh, head nod. Come on. Give me something. Give me something today. Deep breath. I was thinking about this. God came a few times throughout scriptures in 66 books and 1189 chapters, and he posed an invitation, what do you want? What do you want? Only a few people in history did, did they have the opportunity to actually ask God for something great. One time it happened to a young man by the name of Solomon. God came to him in a dream and said, what do you, yeah, what do he say? What do you, it's interesting that this 13-year-old king said, you know what, God? I, uh, I, I'm young, I'm, I'm immature, I'm inexperienced. Would you give me wisdom that I might know how to lead your people well? God was so blown away at this young man's response. You know what God said? He said, every other human I talk to that I ask them what they want, you know what they ask for me? They ask for a long life. They ask for money. They ask for the heads of their enemies. He said, but you didn't ask for what everybody else asked for. You asked for something good. So because you asked for the right thing, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you more money than anybody else. I'm going to give you the heads of your enemies. I'm going to give you a long life. Are you hearing me today? I believe that if we'll ask God for the right thing, he'll give us what we don't ask for. Oh, it's good preaching today. I know good preaching when I hear it. Amen, preach. You better preach. You better take your wife's jeans and preach. Just thinking about this idea that God actually is interested in what do you want. Elisha came to his mentor and he said, uh, Elijah looked at him and said, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion. Esther came to the king and the king said, what do you want? And the king's, and she said, I want the lives of the Jewish nation. We see a blind man that came to Jesus and he said, Jesus looked at him and said, what do you want? It says that the king looked at Nehemiah and, and, and he said, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? What do you want? There's story after story in Ezra and others that had these moments with God that they were asked, what do you want? And I think that, that many times, even as the early two disciples, John's disciples one day saw Jesus walking by. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And these two guys start following Jesus. And, G and Jesus turns around and he looks at two disciples. And he says, what do you? They weren't ready for the magnitude of the question. All they could think in that moment is, uh, where you stand? You can ask God for anything and you want to know where he's sleeping tonight? I think many times Christians are almost like those disciples. When God asks you, what do you want? We ask for stupid stuff. I just want some, I want to pay the bills this month. I think, I think when he asked the blind man, what do you want? And the guy's like, well, I want to see. God's like, uh, I figured that. I wonder what Jesus was willing to give him beyond his sight. I think sometimes we ask too small. I actually think that you can reveal the size of your God by the size of your ask. A-S-K, there's a K in there. Come on, somebody. I think that big ask... We actually reveal a faith in a big God. Some people, they only have enough faith to get to heaven. But my question is this, if God is big enough to get your soul into heaven for eternity, certainly he can smuggle some of heaven into the earth. 
Why would you think it's harder for God to get you to heaven than it is to cure cancer? Why would you think that healing a headache is, is somehow easier to God than healing a crooked spine? Do you know that sometimes we project our human limitations on the eternal God? Now maybe for Jesse or me, if we were in a river and we picked up a big rock, how many know that a big rock is heavier than a little rock? But not with God. Do you know that boulders and pebbles aren't hard or easy for God? There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Have you read these verses? Remember Moses like you 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 uh you uh you can't use me. I I I stutter. And God's response was um Hey, Moses, um, I have a question for you. Who made the mouth? You, 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 you did, actually. Whoa, what happened? Is I believe that many times we forget that there's nothing hard for God or easy. Are you hearing me? And I just felt like God wanted me to incite something in you this morning. What do you want? James 5 says, are you suffering? You know what you need to do? Like Luke said, teach us how to pray. You know what we need to learn in the church today? Is we need to learn how to suffer well. What do you do when you're in pain? You got to learn how to pray. I know it's a problem in America because when people suffer today, they go online. People suffer today, they start trolling people on social media. When they suffer today, they start, they start going to the comments section. They go to Reddit. They start critiquing. They start leaving negative reviews for churches. How do you know when you're sick spiritually, when you're willing to talk bad about Jesus' wife? I'm telling you right now, I love God, but I don't love the church. That's like saying, Mark, I love you, but Rochelle's weird. We have problems. Because you can't love me and hate my wife. Coming for somebody in Iowa today. Well, she's not perfect. Of course she's not. You and I are involved with her. There's no such thing as a perfect church, but there is a church that is perfect for you. God will use an imperfect bride to do something perfect on the earth. Come on, somebody. And so we find here that the first type of prayer that he, he identifies, I'm going to give you four, four types of prayer, is he says, if you're suffering, you've got to learn how to pray. What do we do when we suffer? Oftentimes we don't pray. We, we vent. You know what I've learned is that when you talk to people about problems that only God can solve, usually it's called gossip. Gossip is going to somebody that cannot fix the problem. And here's what I want to encourage you. Is start, let's start bringing things to God. We're bringing things to man that only God can fix. Let's go to the one that can fix it. Come on, are you with me today? If you have a Honda, you don't take it to Nissan to fix it when it's broken. You take it back to the person that manufactured that turkey. Come on we got to start bringing God problems back to God. Personally, pray. I actually think that, man, in many ways, you can, you can gauge the barometer of your faith by the quality and the health of your personal prayer life. Some of us only pray for the food to be blessed. Some of us only pray when we're in trouble. If you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. God wants, listen, God wants your, he wants your, he wants to know you. Do you know what makes Christianity different than all the other religions of the world? Is we have a God that's still alive and he's listening. I think sometimes we pray like God's dead still. I think we worship like he didn't get out of the grave. If I was an atheist in this room today, I would not be suspicious by eternity church being on fire. I would be suspicious of this church if they sang like he wasn't alive. If they prayed like he wasn't listening. Like they preached like he couldn't do anything. I'm suspicious of religions that are dead. Why would you say your God's living when your church is dead? Are you here? I feel like, are you hearing me today? 
And I think that we got to actually get back to this idea that I'm going to pray big prayers because God's listening. Do you know that prayer is all over the Bible? God was interested in listening to big prayers. God is a God that is actually interested. He is a God of prayer. Say with me, personal prayer. We see it all throughout the Bible. We see that, man, Abraham was a man of prayer. Do you know the indictment of, of Sodom and Gomorrah was? It wasn't a testament of how wicked the city was. It was the absence of righteous people. You know that if there was just ten righteous people that knew how to pray? God would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why I know he's going to do something in California. I know there's millions that are wicked, but there are thousands that are righteous. In the Bible I read, God gave me this revelation that literally, do you know that God withered down? Abraham prayed. He said, Lord, there's 50. If there's 45, if there's just 30, if there's just 20, forgive me, if there's just 10 righteous, would you have mercy on the entire region? You know, God said, absolutely. You know what the indictment of, of Lot was? Lot was the nephew of, of Abraham, the father of faith. Lot's biggest mistake, he made a couple mistakes, he married the wrong woman. How do you know? Because Lot's life turned around, turned into salt. She turned into the thing that she was called to be to Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't have time to preach this stuff, but I'll, I'll tell you something there this morning. Lot's wife, she loved Sodom and Gomorrah more than she loved God. And whenever you marry a girl or a guy that loves the systems of the world more than the God that made the world, you're always going to be in trouble. Because when you marry the wrong person, the second thing that's going to happen, it's going to affect your kids. What happens? This was crazy to me. God, God told me this. He said if, if Lot would have married a godly woman, they would have raised up godly kids. And if they would have raised up two godly girls like I have, they would have married two godly son-in-laws. And if Lot would have just done his immediate job as a family, guess what would have happened? There would have been six righteous people. And then, you know what happened? All, all that needed to happen was his family just needed to impact one person each. If Lot's family would have just impacted one person each, thousands would have been saved. We you know what compromise does? It'll make you marry the wrong people. It'll make you compromise in your convictions. And you'll start bowing when the music of Babylon starts playing. But God is looking for righteous men like Daniel that will not, come on, stop bowing in prayer. Daniel prayed three times a day. Moses prayed for Joshua in the valley. Nehemiah prayed for the walls to be rebuilt. Are you hearing me today? Jonah prayed and, and, and saw revival in Nineveh. We see over and over and over. Do you know that Zechariah, that the 400 years of silence ended as he went into the church to pray? Do you know that the church was birthed in Acts chapter 1 when 120 were praying? Do you know what it says God's doing right now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father and he is praying? Do you know that we are the most like God when we're in his presence and we're praying? The problem of America is not a lost world. It's a, it's a prayerless church. I don't need to have prayer in schools to see revival in America. I hope it comes back. I'm praying it does. But listen to me. Rome was transformed by the early Christians, not because there was prayer in schools, but because there was prayer in the church. And we fail to pray personally, oftentimes because there's darkness in our lives. And when sin takes the throne of your heart, you will lose your appetite to pray. Darkness and light cannot coexist. I'm sorry, I know I'm offending some of you people that own Subarus that have coexist stickers on the, on the bumper. 
But I want you to know that we can't coexist. Light does not coexist with darkness. It just doesn't. I'm sorry, it doesn't. All religions are the same. No, they're not the same. They're actually intrinsically different. Different beliefs lead to different destinations. Well, they all look the same. So do taxis. Taxis look the same, but they're not going to the same place. So do airplanes. Are you hearing me right now? Airplanes look the same, but they're not going to the same place. I want you to know that not all trains go to New York. Not all boats are going to Sydney, and not all taxis are going to Nebraska. Your belief determines your destination. I don't have time to preach this this morning. But I want you to know that God is looking for men and women that go, you know what, I'm going to dethrone sin, and I'm going to enthrone Jesus. How do we do this? Number two, pastoral prayer. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders, the leaders of the church. Let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick. And if they sin, they will be forgiven. You know what I'm, I'm convinced of? There's many people that are forgiven, but they're not healed. Do you know there's a difference? First John says, confess your sins to God, for he is faithful and just to forgive you all, all your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confess to God and be forgiven. But James 5 introduces a new idea. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know what's crazy? There's personal prayer. There's pastoral prayer when you're struggling. Get your pastors to pray for you when you're sick. And then when you're actually in bondage, you confess your sins one to another. Say with me, partner. Partner prayer. Yeah, we need more partner prayer in the church. If there was something the Catholics got right, it was the idea that there's power in defeating sin through confession. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Do you know what happens many times? We confess our sins to God and we're forgiven, but we live in bondage because no human beings know about it. Healing takes place when you, you don't just bring it to God, but you bring it to somebody else. I want to speak to married people. you got to start learning how to struggle with your spouse. You think you're protecting your wife because you're not telling her about the pornography addiction or your eating disorder or whatever it is you're going through right now. You're not protecting your spouse by not letting her in or, her, or him in to your struggles. You're hurting your spouse. Why? Because, because freedom travels with honesty. I wish I had more time. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you. So freedom and truth are collaboratively connected. Let me say it another way. You will only be as free as you are truthful. Honesty and freedom travel together. And some of you aren't free because you're not honest. Is that all right? This guy's kind of mean right now. I don't know if I like this guy anymore. He was, he was good in the beginning, but midway through, he got kind of ornery and mean, so I'm checking out. Now stay with me today. There's personal prayer, pastoral prayer, there's partner prayer. I think everybody in the room, every Christian, should have a Barnabas or a Sister Barbie. Brother Barnabas, he's somebody that you, you do life with. He's someone that maybe you lead a small group with. He's your best buddy. You guys go, you guys go fishing together. You go hunting together. He loves God as much as you love God. And when you're struggling, you can say, Barnabas, hey, I'm going through a tough season. Would you pray for me? And every girl needs that, needs that Sister Barbie. Sister Barbie's like, hey, I'm having a tough time. You get your hair done together, you get your nails done together, you go shopping together. Barbie, me and my husband, we're having some struggles right now. Would you pray for me? And every married couple needs to learn how to bring your spouse into your battle. 
God gave me revelation years ago with my wife, and, and about 10 years into our marriage, one of our family members fell and had this nasty divorce, and it blew his family apart. And my wife said, Mark, promise me that if you're ever struggling, you will tell me right away while there's still time to fix it. She promised me. She said, Mark, if you'll be honest with me, I'll be forgiving with you. We started this policy in our marriage called 100% Honesty and 100% Forgiveness. Usually spouses stop being honest when the other spouse stops being forgiving. But if there is a commitment, are you hearing me, a covenant that goes, I will love you no matter what, better or worse, we're going to get you free one way or the other. Come on. We're going to fight not at each other, but we're going to fight for this marriage. God can transform some things. The band can come up here. I'm about finished. Is there's personal prayer. There's pastoral prayer. There's person or, or, or partner prayer. And the fourth kind of prayer I want to talk to you about today is this idea of passionate prayer. Passionate prayer. It says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Like who? Say it one more time. Like, I want to point that out. Because sometimes we look at men and women in the Bible and they're like, whoa. Of course he called down fire. He was perfect. Of course he killed the Baal worshipers. He was a man of God. Of course Esther saved the world. She was a, she was a woman of God. Of course, of course, of course. And, 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 and I love it because James, the brother, maybe arguably, they're not sure for sure, but maybe the brother of Jesus, James, goes, hey, I want to throw this out there. Elijah was like us. He had bad days. He got angry in traffic sometimes. Maybe even hand out a couple one-finger waves. Come on. He was a man with a nature like ours, but he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. That it would not what? That it would not rain. You know what rain is? Rain is a byproduct of an atmosphere. You know what he says? He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. The prayers of Elijah changed the economy of Israel. How crazy is that? That He goes on the record. James says he was like us, but he prayed earnestly. The word earnestly, it actually means red hot in the Greek. I'm telling you right now, if you lost your red hot prayers, or maybe you've never prayed red hot prayers, I'm telling you that's the, that's the kind of stuff that changes the atmosphere of your life. You want to change the atmosphere of your marriage? I'm, I'm going to tell you the secrets. Red hot prayer. You want to see that kid come back to God? Red hot prayers. You want to see the environment of your office change? Red hot prayers. You want to see God work on your boss's heart? Red hot prayers. You want to see Pharaoh's heart turn to butter? Red hot prayers. And I think sometimes we live under the, under the fog and the cloud of what's going on in our cities, in our families, and we're victims of our circumstances instead of weather changers. You know what the birthright of sons and daughters is? Is to actually go to God boldly. It says to approach the throne of grace boldly. That we might obtain grace and receive help to transform our situation in our time of need. But there's too many Christians that are like, well, my marriage is messed up. I can't do anything. I, just, I have no way out. You have a door. It's called prayer. My kids are crazy. They went to university. They got brainwashed. There's no, there's no return. You have a weapon. It's called prayer. And I'll tell you right now that, man, when you grab a hold of God in the secret place, you watch as you bring red-hot prayers in secret, and it changes your public life. I'm telling you that what you pray today is what you will eat tomorrow. Some of you are eating seeds that are just 
full of cynicism, doubt, skepticism. Some of you don't think that God can change anything at all. I have a problem with dispensationalism because it takes the power and the wonder of God out of it. It pretty much takes anything exciting of Christianity out. Well, the, the, the disciples, uh, the apostles are the only ones that could do miracles. And when they died, so did the miracles. The problem is there was people in the book of Acts doing miracles that weren't apostles. Stephen wasn't an apostle. Are you hearing me? Apollos wasn't an apostle. I go down the list of all these men that were not apostles that did great things for God. God moves with movers. God speaks to people of prayer. And God will change the patterns of your atmospheres if you will go in prayer. I'm praying something red hot. I've been praying for my oldest brother for 15 years. And six weeks ago, he got set free from methamphetamine addiction. I've been praying. I've been praying. I've been praying. I've been praying. I've been praying for my stepdad for, for 20, almost 21 years. He was an agnostic. For 21 years, I've been praying for him. And I'm happy to report two nights ago, my friend Paul and I, for about two hours that night, were able to explain the gospel, to explain the Bible to him, and we watched this thing, and he let us pray for him two nights ago at his house. God is moving in my family. God is responding. Are you hearing me? He's responding to prayer. But sometimes in America, we pray one prayer, and it didn't change the first time I prayed. Neither did my first visit to the gym. I went to church one time and I raised my hand, but my whole life didn't get fixed and Pedro didn't make my wildest dreams come true. And I'm just upset that things aren't perfect. My first time I prayed. I'm like, if I had a six pack for one visit to the gym, I'd have a sweet six pack. But it's crazy that we're willing to be persistent physically. Well, I say, I, I bought one share of stock and I'm not rich. Of course you're not rich. One share of stock. You got to keep on keeping on. You got to keep on saving, investing, keep on working out. You got to keep on eating good. For some reason, when it comes to the, to the church, we're like, I'm going to do it one time. And if God doesn't do it my way when I want, then he's not God. Well, you can scribble on your jail cell darkness all day long, but the sun is still going to come up. And whether you acknowledge God or not, that's up to you. See, God doesn't send people to hell. He honors their belief. And I'm telling you right now, God doesn't want to send anybody to that place. He made it for the devil and for the, for the fallen demons. But he will honor what you receive and what you believe about Jesus. One of my professors said that how we treat Jesus is how God treats us. You honor Jesus, God honors you. You lift up Jesus, God lifts you up. You celebrate that he's a liberating Jesus, he liberates you. Are you hearing me right now? In some ways, the Jesus we preach is the Jesus we get. Well, I thought that Jesus, he's only powerful enough to get us to heaven. He can't heal bodies. That's what my old pastor said. And your old pastor got the Jesus he preached. But I came to Eternity Church, and they said that my marriage could be healed. They said that I could get out of my eating disorder. That God could deliver me from my alcohol addiction. So funny that we call Christians saved. But today in North America, it's like, what are the, what's the North American church saved from? Just as, just as broken as we were when we came in. I said, God, if I go to Babylon, if I go to California, and if the people aren't turning into you, turning into more of you, I'm out. I, I don't want to be another California Christian church. 
the pastors are drinking and getting drunk and they're sleeping around and they have dirty language and they tell dirty jokes. I'm like, I don't want to lead a church that's full of lukewarm Christians. There's enough of those in California. I want to go to a church that actually worships the God they're becoming like. We have too many gifted Christians and not enough godly Christians. Here's the problem. You become like you hang out with. And I think the reason why we have gifted Christians is we practice our gifts, but we don't spend time with God. You know what I want? God gave me this revelation a while back. That there's four revelations that God wants to give to the church. Say with me, lordship, servantship, that's bad English, it's good theology. Lordship, servantship, sonship, friendship. And here's what I feel like right now in America, you know what we have? We have this, this gospel being preached that you're a child of God, you're sons and daughters, and you are. But the problem is, if you only receive being a son and daughter of God, and he's not the Lord of your life, you become an entitled kid. God's working for me. God's blessing me. God is at my disposal. Here's the yeah, you are a child of God, but make no mistake about it, he is the ruler of the heavens and the earth. He will one day, we will give an account to him as our Lord, as our judge. And there's no fear of God. The younger generation, we're irreverent. We're like Lot. You know what Lot did? Lot told his godless son-in-laws that judgment was coming. You know what the problem with Lot was? Is when he said that the angels came to him and they were going to destroy the city, his son-in-laws, you know what the Bible says? They thought he was joking. You know what God told me about Lot? Is he was so irreverent with a sense of humor that he was always joking all the time. And so when the moment came to be serious, no one took him serious. That's my concern with the younger generation. We make fun of pastors and churches and we're irreverent. And you, you want to be taken serious, but you were always joking around before it. So no one takes you serious when the time comes. God is not just your buddy, he's your Lord. You know what God did to Moses? Is this too long today? Are we still okay? We have three minutes, right? You know what God said to Moses? Moses was a, he was the king's son. You know what the first thing that God had to do with the burning bush? Take your shoes off. You know why? Luke 15 tells us why. The father put shoes back on the son. You know why God told Moses to take his shoes off? Because shoes were only worn by sons. And before God could make Moses his son, he had to give Moses a revelation of what it is to be a servant. Take, are you hearing me today, your shoes off. We have an American church that knows God as a father, but we don't know God as the Lord or the master. You know why Paul became the apostle Paul? The first word he said, Lord, who are you? He had a revelation of lordship before he had a revelation of, of sonship. And if you want to be God's son and you want to be God's friend, you got to first be God's servant. I feel like preaching this morning a little bit. Well, he, he, God works for me. No, you don't. You work for him. God is a terrible employee, but he's an amazing boss. Lord, you're my Lord. You're my Adonai. You're my master. And after you're my master, because you're my Lord, I am your servant. And if you'll be willing like Moses to take your shoes off and say, God, I know I was raised at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I know I'm a, I'm a child of the king. I was raised with the best education, and I have the most fame and the most accolades. But at the presence of God, I am your humble servant. If you'll be his servant, 
You know what happens next? You can start being a son. I've heard it said that if you spoil your kids, you'll raise your grandkids. But if you raise your kids, you can spoil your grandkids. You know what the reward of being a good parent is? One day when your kids grow up, they become your friends. I'm telling you, man, God's been speaking to me lately. He goes, you know, you know what you're, you're, you're called to do, Mark? You're supposed to lead my people into friendship with me. But you'll never be God's friend until you learn how to be God's kid. You have to let God raise you up as a child so that one day you can be mature enough to handle friendship. We have a bunch of baby Christians that don't know what it's like. I want my parent to be my buddy. Listen, if you make your kids your friends before when they need you to be their parent, you will ruin them. And I think that's what the grace message that was too far gone has done to the church, is we tried to make the sons and daughters of, of God friends of God before they were responsible. God, your Lord. God, I'm your servant. And after I'm your servant, yeah, I'll put my shoes back on. I'll be your son. And when I'm your son long enough and you can raise me up into maturity, I'm not drinking milk anymore. I'm eating the word of God. Now I can be like, like Enoch. I can be a friend of God. Now I can be like Noah, a friend of God. Now I can be like Daniel, a friend of God. Now I can be like Paul, a friend of God. Is there anybody that wants to be God's friend? What do you want? I'll tell you what I want. I will live the rest of my life desiring to be a friend of Jesus. And you won't be his friend until you become his kid. And you really won't be a good kid until you're humble enough to be a servant. And you won't be a servant until you acknowledge him, not as just the savior of your soul, but the Lord of your life. God does not work for you. You serve him. Would you stand to your feet? Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. I pray, Lord, for the successful businessman, successful businesswoman. I pray for the single mom, the single dad. I pray for the couple that's going through hell right now. We ask today, Lord, that we would come into a relationship of friendship. What do you want? I want to learn how to pray so I can learn how to be your friend. I want to be a friend of God. If you want to be a friend of God, would you just lift your hands all over this place? I want to know you. I want to love you. To know you is to love you. I want to dethrone my idols, and I want to enthrone my God. I want to give you permission surgically to remove any cancer in my spirit, any darkness in my heart, any compromise in my soul. God, get rid of the old and bring in the new. I don't want to be like Lot, compromising. I don't want to be like Lot, a disciple of Babylon. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be a friend of God. That's really your heart today with your hands in the air. Just say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission. I ask you today to be the leader, the sovereign God, Lord of my life. Make me your servant so I can be a good son and daughter. Make me, Lord, a friend, a child of God, in Jesus' name. Raise me up into all that you have for me. And if you want to learn how to really pray so you can be a friend of God, just put your hand on your heart right now. People say, Mark, why do you read the Bible? Because you don't know what God is like until you read the Bible. Why do you read it? Because if you want to know what God look, looks like, you got to read the Word. Some of you start reading the Bible 20 minutes a day and then talking to God about it. Start friendship with God.
friendship with God. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would validate that this is your word, this is your message by healing those that are sick, by encountering those that are in doubt and darkness, and by liberating those that are in bondage and addiction. I see someone with scoliosis being healed. It's going to happen right now. There's someone in here you were going to have an affair this week, and God's literally taking the will of your life. And you're not going to destroy your family. You're not going to burn up your marriage. You're not going to destroy your kids. God, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, is bringing your life back on track today. And I see someone in here that you've never known God intimately, and His presence is going to come over you like a wave, and He's going to begin to clean you out from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. There's someone addicted to pornography that God is breaking the back of it today. There's someone in here you've been addicted to cutting yourself, and God has liberated you right now today. There's a young lady in here that you've been suicidal the last six months, off and on, and God is rebuking that spirit right now in Jesus' name. If you need a touch from God physically, mentally, or spiritually, if you need God to heal you or set you free in an area, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to lift your hands right now. It doesn't make you weird. It makes you honest. Everyone needs prayer sometimes. Everyone needs prayer sometimes. I, God, I'm inviting you to heal me, and I'm inviting you to lead me out of this darkness. Lift your hands really high. That's you. Really high. Don't be shy. You be if your hand's not up right now, I want you just to find someone next to you that has their hand up. Put your hand on their shoulder. Just put your hand on their shoulder. Just find someone just next to you. I love it that everybody had a, a hand on their shoulder. One person at least. Just get a hand on someone's shoulder. Everyone just kind of leaders distribute. Come on, just pray this prayer right now all over the room. The Bible says we'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So pray this prayer. Eternity Church, say Jesus. Say it like you mean it. Jesus, we call on your name. We're inviting you, Spirit of the living God to heal physically, mentally, trauma, disease, disorders, bondages. In Jesus Christ's name, darkness, you got to go. In Jesus Christ's name, demons, you got to go. In Jesus Christ's name, anything that's not the Holy Spirit, we command you to leave now. In Jesus' name, freedom, liberty, holiness, and passion for the King of Kings. Filling them up now in Jesus' name. And I pray right now for scoliosis being healed. I pray for a tumor on someone's body being healed. I pray for the mass on someone's liver being healed. Someone has ulcers right now in your stomach being healed. Someone didn't come this morning almost because of kidney stones being healed. Someone has a kidney infection. It's being healed. Someone's missing organs in your body. God is healing you creatively right now. Blind eyes open. Deaf ears open. Someone's ear is being opened right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to heal, to move, deliver. I command any spirit that would try to get people to kill themselves, I, I, I command you to leave. I lose the Spirit of God over eternity, church, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus' name. Let's go ahead real quick. You can, you can stop praying for them and just close your eyes. If you're here, last thing I do before I leave, if you're here today and you say, Mark, I have never known the Jesus you're preaching or I've known him on Sundays, but not, not all week long. I'm a, I'm a Sunday Christian. 
I, I serve God one day a week, two days a week. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I didn't go to the cross for partial custody of my kids. God wants full custody. And if you're ready to go all the way in, well, I love God, but I don't, I don't go to small group. God, God says, it's time to go all the way in. I love God, but I don't tithe. God says, it's time to go all the way in. I love God, but I don't share my faith. It's time to start sharing your faith. We're going all the way in. I love God. I just don't read the Bible. It's time to start reading the Bible. If you're here today to say, Mark, I've never believed in Jesus, but I want to. Or I, I love God, but not I haven't been all the way in. Or I kind of turned my back on him. And I need to rededicate my life to Jesus today. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hands right now. I'll give you three seconds to do it. And I ask right now that everyone that needs to rededicate their life, let them have the courage to respond right now. Those that are 75% in, let this be the day. But they stop being lukewarm, half-hearted, and they go all the way in. And I pray today that those that need to rededicate their lives to you, that maybe got off track for a season, today would be the day that they put Jesus back on the throne. One, I'll give you three seconds. Two, many hands already up. I'm going all in today for God. Three, real high, real high, real high, real high, real high, real high. I see four, five, six, I keep it up. Seven, eight, real high, nine, ten, real high, eleven. Yeah. Ma'am, in the back, in the back, you just you were just wiping your face in the back? Yeah, over here. You just wiped your face? Yeah. Give me a wave so I know you see me. The back. You're turning around a little bit. You have brown hair. You're turning around. Yeah, right here. Look at me. Give me a wave. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to praise. Close your eyes with us. I'm not trying to embarrass you. But I feel like the Holy Spirit says I'm healing your heart. There's something that happened to you like, it's like eight years ago. You're really ashamed. And God's removing shame and guilt. God says I'm healing your heart. And there's things that you actually thought that God couldn't put back together that he, he's more than capable of putting back together. I see God restoring something relationally with family. There's even a relationship that blew up a couple of years ago that God says, you watch how beauty comes out of those ashes. God's going to bring hope for your future. I even believe by this time next year, there's almost, I almost see like, I don't, I don't know if you're married or not, but I see like God doing something creatively in a relationship with marriage or restoring something in your marriage uh, or maybe even getting married or whatever it is. But I see Jesus' name, God is getting ready to do something that you haven't seen, you haven't heard, you haven't experienced. And I see God breaking off something that was like in your grandma that's been affecting you and attacking you. God says that what killed other generations will not kill you. There's a new grace coming on you this morning, sister, in Jesus' mighty name. There's a gentleman in the yellow shirt in the very back. Uh, yellow shirt, you're clapping a little bit right now. I, I don't know what it says. It said new uh, bald head in the back. Yeah, come on. There you are. Yeah, yeah, just make sure I, I, I got you. Put your hand on your heart, sir. I feel like the Lord said today that because you've honored me, I'm going to honor you. There's been like a lot of injustice, a lot of things that happened to you that were not your fault outside of your control. God says you had a lot of opportunities to blame me for the problems you, you were raised in. But because you didn't deny me for the, the darkness that you were around and raised around, God says, I'm going to honor you for honoring me. God says, I'm going to raise you up, sir. And there's even something I see happening. I don't know uh, if you have some sort of business or something, but I see like even something like with landscaping and some sort of favor that God's going to give you, like lands and properties that God, there's like, like, there's like an inheritance coming uh, in some way that God is opening up new doors. He's going to open up the windows of heaven. And you watch, uh, even the next five years, God says there's debt that he's going to take care of. There's, uh, there's like expend expenses that you didn't know how you were going to solve. And God's going to open up the doors of heaven heaven. Deuteronomy 8.18, God will be the God that gives you the power to gain wealth. 
And I think that you're going to be one of the men that actually helps support this church in the days to come in a significant way. We bless this gentleman in Jesus' mighty name. <clears throat> Those that raised their hands, would you pray this prayer? You raised your hand to give your heart back to God. Just pray this all over, the, all over the church today. Pray with all those that raised their hands. Say, Jesus, I invite you today to forgive me, to heal my soul. I give you my mind, my heart, my love, my future. Fill me with your spirit. Be the leader, Lord, and CEO of my life. Plant me in a church. Speak to me as I read your word and make me a friend of God. In Jesus' name I ask and pray. Come on, if you love them today, give them a good hand clap. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.